Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Underpowered Hour. On this week's show, we talk about a minister who quits the church to travel the globe in his bulletproof Land Rover full of dogs. Liza does an on-location interview with Sarah Crabtree during this year's Rebel Rally. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the Underpowered Hour. I'm Steve Barris, mild-mannered television executive by day and Land Rover collector by night. You can find out more about our cars and what we're working on at thebarriscollection.com or follow us on Instagram at thebarriscollection. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Ike Goss. Thank you to everyone joining us today. I'm the box section to Steven's unibody. I'm the ladder frame of podcasting, Ike Goss. I own and operate Pangolin 4x4 in Springfield, Oregon, where we live and breathe Land Rovers. Check us out online on Facebook, Instagram at Pangolin 4x4. Let's get started. All right, Ike. Well, in uh, the news uh, this week, uh, this is a story uh, that is uh, full of intrigue and interest. And uh, I know this is this is a, an article that uh, you haven't had a chance to read, so I thought I would I thought I would just sort of uh, summarize it for you. I think the headline really says it all. Uh, Minister quits church to travel the globe in a Land Rover with pet dogs. Really kind of, really, really sums it up, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I uh, I like it. You know, he he, he had a calling, you know? Yeah, and, it's uh, a higher calling <laughs> than uh, the higher calling. Yeah, an even uh, higher calling uh, yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah, a gentleman named uh, Scott Scott McCrum, uh, who is, uh, you know, coincidentally, Scott McCrum seems like a pretty interesting dude because uh, in uh, 2012, he was the first man in Scotland to have a hair transplant. First man what? in Scotland. Apparently the first hair transplant in Scotland took place in 2012. It seems dubious that that would be the case, but I, you know. That's 2012, what it says, yeah. he was the first person in Scotland to have a hair transplant. Yeah, no one before 2012 had had a hair transplant in uh, in the country of Scotland. Wow. Yeah. Those hair behind the time. Right? Was, we should get this guy on the show. He's... I know. It feels like, well, that isn't where it stops because he also, in uh, then later on, 2016, he uh, auditioned for The X Factor uh, singing hymns, uh, which, is, uh, which is appropriate because uh, he was uh, ordained by the uh, Church of Scotland in uh, 2015. As a uh, as a uh, minister, and this guy's uh, all over the board. Yeah, I know. And uh, up until uh, you know, and then it was he was apparently he was a minister uh, up until just recently, where he uh, decided to uh, embark on what will be. He's not doing this yet, but what will be a trip around the world in a military uh, 110 inch uh, Land Rover. Uh, in uh, it, it is a it is a bulletproof version, which I think is is important. Nope. So uh, he's is he traveling to places where he's gonna, he's concerned he will be shot? 
I'm not sure. I don't know if it's like, well, I got this Land Rover. It happens to be bulletproof or I need to get a bulletproof Land Rover. That was not made clear in the article. There I mean, no, there's, uh... there's two reasons not to have a bulletproof Land Rover on your mm-hmm. trip. Mm-hmm. One is uh, it might encourage you to go places where you might be shot that's, at. It's a good point. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, the second one is I can't imagine the fuel economy on an armored Land Rover. Can you imagine? So like a military 110? It's got to yeah. be. I assume it's a two and a half liter diesel, right? Or something. I mean, I don't know. Couldn't say. Who knows, right? I don't really know how old it is. There's not a lot of great pictures. It's probably a 19J. Coincidentally, the article <laughs> isn't really so much about the Land Rover so much as it is about this, this gentleman. Fella. Yeah, who is, uh, who is an interesting dude. Uh, you know, when you look at him, you can kind of tell that he's had a hair transplant. I think if you know that. <laughs> If you didn't know that, though, if the article didn't call it out, I think you'd be like, yeah, this is is whatever. He's a normal guy guy. with some weird hair. Yeah, Um, right. Exactly. I think that it, 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 you know, I don't know that they had to call that out in the article, but, but they did. Now, did he quit the church or was he removed from the church? No way to tell. It doesn't say. It says he's no longer with the church. You know, he's decided now, again, to pursue an even higher calling. Uh, And was he, was he defrocked? He may <laughs> there may have been frocking and defrocking involved. I don't know. It's not know. a word it I get to true. use yeah. often enough. Yeah, it is. It's true. You know, I think that's, uh, you know, another, another in the same is a degloved, degloving. Oof, that, oh, that that's brings, that, that, oof, that's oof. awful. Yeah, it is awful. Yeah, you don't want to ever be Don't de-gloved. Google that. So no, 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 no. Uh, you know, so he, the, I think the, the interesting thing is, no, not only, not only is Scott the, uh, first hair transplant uh, recipient in Scotland. I feel like we need a listener uh, fact check on that. But uh, any of our Scottish listeners, if you if you know that to be different, please let us know. Because to me, it seems that seems a little late, but whatever. And not only does he own a military Land Rover that he plans on driving in a bulletproof fashion around uh, the globe, uh, he is planning on doing that uh, with his not just dog, uh, but with his dogs. He dogs. has. Uh, Two border collies, which I I understand to be pretty large animals, and then a they're, they're uh, medium size. They're me- and then a, to be honest, they're medium. They're size. medium. They're a medium, and then a, and then a, and then a, a mini. A mini. Uh, is it is it a dasset da- hound? The the little they're like the little wienery dog kind of guys. A dachshund. Is that a what dachshund? you're trying to say? I don't know. Your, your unfamiliarity with dogs is is. I don't. Funny I don't know. Right? I don't know what. I don't know what they are. Anyways, you, uh, you, one of those. You know what a wiener dog is. It's, it's I do know what a wiener dog is. Which it's I. Oh, that's a dachshund. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're one of those. So so three dogs, two of medium size, one of mini size, in a bulletproof Land Rover, traveling around the world. Uh, it it's an. I mean, that is a that is a feat for sure. No question about it. Did he volunteer the information about the hair transplant? Was he like, I'm the first first hair transplant? I don't know, right? Like, I don't understand. How would they know? Yeah, how would they know? I mean, do you advertise? I mean, maybe you do, right? I mean, maybe that's something you're very proud of it, you know? I mean, you were the first, you know, hair transplant. Maybe it's part of the deal in being the first. Maybe he got it for free. And so he, uh, you know, he's decided it's part of the deal. It's part of the deal. Anytime (laughs) it's it's talked about, then uh, he has to, uh, you know, he has to, uh, you know, disclose that, that I was, in fact, the first the first hair transplant. Anyways, so you can you can actually find out about his uh, travels. Don't just uh, Google Scott McCrum. There's a million of them. His YouTube channel is Rev Scott McCrum, as in the Reverend, I believe, or maybe engine revving. But I think probably the Reverend thing. I mean, okay, you know, so maybe you know? he's maybe he's still doing church stuff. He uh, has one. 
video up uh, and that that video uh, went up uh, three months ago, but it, it does happen inside of the Land Rover. So you do get a little bit of, sen- of a sort of sense of the space, you know, and is he, he is sort he of talks yet? about. Is he on the road? I, I don't. There's nothing else on his YouTube channel. Uh, there is uh, 50, uh, 55 subscribers, and there's, uh, you know, there's just uh, just a few little things on, uh, well, we'll, you we'll know. We'll keep tabs on how Scott gets along. You know, uh, there's some... It kind of reminds me of uh, an, another round-the-world trip Land Rover. Uh, it was a doormobile, and, um, and it said uh, on the side, it was painted like this person was traveling through the Middle East. It said, praise Allah, don't shoot. On the side of it. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a similar situation. There's a lot of Church of Scotland uh, sort of reformism going on on this channel. So, uh, you know, hey, sample at your own risk. But uh, but uh, we wish uh, we wish the the Reverend well in uh, in all of his endeavors. Yeah. And uh, hopefully, in fact, he doesn't have to. You know, he doesn't need to put the don't shoot on the side. It's fine. You can shoot at him. It's no big deal. It's, it's not going to be bulletproof Land Rover. It's bulletproof yeah. Land Rover. He's going to be fine. He's going to be totally fine. I, yeah, I imagine it would rattle the dogs a little bit, uh, but, uh, you know, otherwise. So uh, anyways, if you happen to see a, uh, a gentleman uh, who looks uh, particularly holy uh, rolling through your town uh, with a bunch of dogs and a bulletproof Land Rover, uh, you may have witnessed the first hair transplant uh, recipient in uh, Scotland. Missed opportunity for a yeah. YouTube name, too. The Holy Roller. That, was, that oh, would have been a good holy one. Holy Roller. The Holy. Yeah, exactly. So. Well, speaking of uh, rollers, we uh, have uh, it's kind of a special, kind of a special interview. Our uh, field correspondent, <laughs> Liza, uh, was uh, of course out at the uh, Rebel Rally a few uh, months back and uh, got an opportunity to uh, sit down in in her Land Rover with our good friend Sarah Crabtree, who, uh, amongst other things, amongst being a rebel and uh, and uh, just an all-around fun person uh, to be with, she uh, works at uh, the uh, British uh, 4x4 specialists uh, out there in Pennsylvania, and uh, they actually have uh, our defender right now. So those two defenders are are side by side. They're doing a little bit of work on the uh, on our defender, and then it'll head down and do some stuff on the East Coast and do that. But it's cool to have it with a uh, you know with a fellow team and uh, the only other uh, classic uh, defender, uh, the long one in the uh, in the Rebel this uh, this past year, and uh, had a great conversation with her over dinner. And uh, I got the privilege of driving uh, her car uh, back to the uh, back to Palm Springs uh, from the dunes, which was uh, comfortable. <laughs> and uh yeah, and the problem with it was the problem with it was um it was uh prepared for the event <laughs> and it had a, a lot of gear stored inside of it so much so that uh the, the front driver's seat was was pushed forward and uh it I was not able to move the seat back to be comfortable so i uh i had about uh 12 inches less leg room than I probably needed, probably needed. to be comfortable. And well, so I'm still okay. recovering. Was, I'm yeah. still recovering. I'm still recovering. Yeah, you, that, that yeah. limp has almost cleared up, but uh, it's all right. It was only a three hour long drive. So no, no problem at all. I, I think I have some permanent nerve damage. And I did try to maintain a speed that was right between second and third gear. Uh, so that <laughs> neither was, really worked well. It yeah. was between third and fourth. And it was, third and fourth, yeah, it yeah. was miserable. It yeah. was like 48 miles an hour. I was like, <laughs> Oh, what is he doing? <laughs> well, I just I didn't want to lose you. I, I felt like yeah. uh, I wasn't sure. So, anyways, it is a uh, it is a uh, a hell of an experience and a great interview uh, that Liza taped uh, while she was out there. So uh, we're gonna play that. I'm excited. Let's hear it. So it is day eight of the Rebel Rally, and I am currently sitting in the other Defender, the 110. 
that was brought out here by Team Rover Landing. And I'm sitting here with Sarah Crabtree, who is the driver of that vehicle. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Thanks for having me. Hey, I'm super, super stoked to finally get to chat with you. We were going to do this mm -hmm. on Prologue, or um, even before Prologue Day, like pre-tech inspection day. Right. And we never quite got around to it because we were all running in different directions, getting ready for this event. But, you know, we've gotten to know each other throughout the course of this event, and we were obviously sisters in arms with the two Defenders. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about your Defender for our listeners. What is your rig like? Tell us a little bit about the specs. Sure, absolutely. Um, this is a 1992 Defender 110 rest of world market car. Um, the car was originally imported from Italy, from what I understand from the previous owner who had it. I bought it in 2017 and it was quite the basket case. So, um, <laughs> I was able to take it to a local shop that I now work at called British 4x4 Specialist in Hershey, Pennsylvania. So that's my home shop and my boyfriend Trevor Griffiths runs that. And so prior to me working there, I was originally just a customer for the shop. And so uh, when I first got the car, pretty much everything that was needed to be done for maintenance was very much overdue. Uh, bushings, bearings, shocks, springs, filters, anything rubber, basically everything needed to be replaced. We even replaced the transmission because it lost second gear. <laughs> um, and so... And it's yeah, a diesel, right? It is, yeah, 200 TDI. And so, yeah, it's just been sort of a rolling restoration. I think the next big project that I'm going to tackle is putting on new doors because they're very much um, on their last leg. Yes, yes, I feel you on that one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I definitely yeah. know the feeling. Ours mm -hmm. are slightly different body yeah. color than the rest of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we always ask this of our guests. What was it that attracted you to the green oval? What was it that made you... A Land Rover lover. Yeah. Um. So in high school, my good friend Michael was restoring a Series 3 in high school. Like, he was just a 16-year-old kid who had some spare cash, and he bought a Series 3 Land Rover that he completely restored himself. And I remember hanging out with him a couple nights when we were in high school and watching him put this thing together and him explaining to me, like, his love of his of this car and how excited he was to finally drive it and get it back on the road and I was like oh yeah I gotta get me one of these these are <laughs> these are pretty cool so and then um we also around that same time watched an episode of Top Gear this is the very first Top Gear UK episode I've ever seen where they went to I believe it was Bolivia and Jeremy Clarkson was driving a Range Rover and I thought to myself okay yeah this is where it's at Land Rover is definitely like you know I loved the um the heritage that was yeah that just oozes out of every Land Rover story that you hear or see about. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Do you think that folks that own new Land Rovers, Range Rovers, Discoveries, the new Defender, do you think that there is a disconnect between new Land Rover owners and that heritage? I'd say for owners, perhaps, unfortunately, but I think corporate is still trying to... I think corporate is doing their best to sort of recognize that and then turn back to where their roots came from with the Land Rover Trophy and the Trek challenges mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. our good friends have been participating in. So I would agree that perhaps owners sort of view these as a status symbol rather than as a very usable uh, tool. Mm -hmm. But I think corporate's doing a good job of trying to turn that around. That's so, fair. Yeah. That's fair. Mm -hmm. Um so talk to me about the Rebel Rally. How did you hear about it and what made you decide that 
this was something you wanted to undertake. Yeah, absolutely. So um, being in Classic Land Rover, I, of course, read Rover's Magazine. And our good friend, Jeff Jeff Aronson. Yep, Jeff Aronson. (laughs) How you doing? (laughs) As he always says. I read his article about it where he went out, I believe it was two years ago. And I read all about this article in the LR4 that competed. And I think there was a D2 that year as well that competed. And I was like, yes, 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 and yes. I had already owned my Defender at this point. And I was like, I got to get myself out there. So I actually tried to register for last year's Rebel, but I um, didn't uh, raise enough money in time. So here I am at this year's event. Awesome. Thankfully with you. And you had a partner change not that long ago, just a few months ago. Talk to me about that. What kind of extra pressure did that put on you going into this event? Yeah, so I originally was signed up with my good Rover friend, Alain Renault. She was was based out of Maryland, and we were a part of the same uh, Land Rover club in Pennsylvania. She unfortunately had to drop in June due to a bit of a family emergency. And so then I called up my other good Land Rover friend who's based out of Maryland. Uh, her name's Regina Recifo. And I t- explained her the situation. We both knew Alain personally. And I told her about what was going on and how unfortunately she couldn't compete anymore. And Regina was like, yeah, okay, okay, let me uh, let me get a couple of things together and see <laughs> if I can get back to you. And then the next day she got back to me and was just like, okay, yeah, let's do this. So awesome. yeah, Regina has been amazing like considering that she's had four three and a half months of training she kicked ass if yeah. i can say that oh she totally <laughs> kicked ass the look on her face from day one to day eight was tremendously different she mm-hmm. was definitely very scared going into the first day but by the end oh she were was, we all <laughs> you guys you guys were killing it out there in the dunes yesterday we, yeah. we crossed paths with you several times and you guys yeah. looked like you were having a great time yeah so how is this event what you expected and how is it completely different than what you thought you were getting yourself into? Sure, absolutely. What I expected certainly would be, um, funny enough, all the attention we would bring, bringing a classic 110. I was very excited about that, being you and I being the first two teams to ever register a classic defender for Rebel ever. I was like, this is awesome. Not just one, but two. Yeah. And so that was very exciting going in, but I will admit this is the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And so now going into it, like day one, I was immediately homesick. I was very tired and I realized apparently I have, I must have a phobia of open desert because I remember almost panicking. Did you? Yeah. Being in those really big open valleys. Of course. They were so remote. Exactly. Yeah. And whilst the beauty was just, it was like dangerously beautiful. Like it was, you know, fantastic to see all of these incredible landmarks and landscapes, but you still couldn't help, at least for myself personally, I still couldn't help but feel this overwhelming sense of openness because I come from the East Coast. Everything's so much closer together. Everything's so much closer. It's like how there's that ongoing joke about how the English don't understand distance and the Americans don't understand age. Right. <laughs> it's the same way on East Coast versus West Coast. The West Coast is so vast and mm-hmm. there's still so much of it that is remote and untouched and you feel very exposed out yeah. there. Yeah. Um, I went to Overland Expo this summer and mm-hmm. I sat in on a really great guy who was giving a presentation on how he overcame anxiety to overland around the world. And he had something very much like what you're talking about. He is totally fine in all sorts of dangerous situations. 
but put him on an open road by himself or with a couple other guys. He was on an enduro bike, but put him 275 miles away from the next gas station and he would have panic attacks Yeah, of just feeling so far away and his brain would go into overdrive about all these worst case scenarios. Yep, exactly. But he had to get a lot of professional help to help him work through that anxiety because he didn't want it to hold him back from being Mm -hmm. able to explore all these beautiful places. But I think what you're talking about is a very, very real feeling for a lot of people we Mm -hmm. constantly brought you up in our car thinking man imagine if you were sarah and you've never seen desert like this and what what are you thinking in those moments yeah and i hadn't and it was just such a massive culture shock i've been to scotland before and i've been in open vastness in scotland when i was touring the highlands but i think the big difference was was that it was green green was at least familiar i grew up in west virginia so green mountains were at least familiar yeah yeah. And so... No, Neva- yeah. we started at, we're really remote near Belmont, Nevada. And mm-hmm. I mean, it was very rocky. It was very... We were going up and down mine roads, old, old mining roads. Right. And it was probably very different from anything you've seen before. Certainly, yeah. Rockiness was... um. Uh, thankfully familiar again, going back to that, you know, I learned a lot of my off-road driving in different courses in West Virginia. Right. And so rockiness, mountains were, you know, washed out roads were very familiar. But, but yeah, those it big was just... sweeping dirt roads on yes. those valleys. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah. The so, washes. The washes. The yeah. washes. Oh my oh, God. Man. Talk to me about the washes. I know what they felt like in a 90, but what did they feel like in a 110? Oh man. Um, things definitely had more room to rattle around in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, as much as I love my old man emu shocks for performing super well, like, it was not comfortable. No. <laughs> but I guess I kind of expected that going in. Yeah. 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 What about the Rebel event itself? What do you think you prepared for really, really well? And what do you think you came in underprepared for? I'm going to say the truck in both cases. I thought <laughs> it's, it's funny because I had a lot of these great ideas for the truck and... There was a lot of great ideas that were able to be put into practice and utilized. Like what? So we don't have air conditioning in the car. Right. And so Trevor and I, we hooked up these 12-volt fans that are connected. They're actually zip-tied to a dog guard um, that we have um, to to then circulate air that I just have hooked up to a switch on my dash here. And that sort of circulated (laughs) the air. Unfortunately, the dust collected very much so in the back that it ended up just pushing the dust towards the front. But at the first, um, they were working really, really well. Um, <laughs> How did you do in the dunes yesterday? It was like 100 degrees in Glamis yesterday. It was really rough. Yeah. And we couldn't use the fans because it would just push all, all the, the sand, sand forward. back forward. And so we just had to run around with our windows open. But, yeah. I mean, I put this dynamat all over the inside of the roof to help absorb some of that heat. My roof is black. Um, and so that certainly did Did that help? help? But yeah, it oh, did. You could touch it and it would be hot, but... It wasn't radiating in No, you. when you pulled your hand away from it, you didn't feel it. Oh, yeah. interesting. So Dynamat definitely came in handy. Oh, we could have used some of that. Yeah. <laughs> it was so hot yesterday. Yeah. Were you worried about overheating? No, not well. Well, you're uh, a diesel. So. Yeah, I am a diesel, so I had that on my side, but it is a brand new motor, and this is where the underprepared aspect came into place. Um, I wish I would have put more time sooner into doing these bigger projects on the car like I replaced the motor like 
two weeks prior to shipping oh the truck God. out. And that um, some the of that The thought was of on, that stresses me out. Yeah, some of that was poor planning on my part. And other parts <laughs> of it was parts deciding to fail as soon as I took them off the old right. motor and wanted to bolt them onto the new motor. Um, specifically, my fuel injection pump just decided to crap out on me as soon as I was bolting it to the new motor. Oh my god! And so we sent it back out to we sent it out to be rebuilt, and it was a two week turnaround. And so that was was killer. Um, so I, we always talk about you know as soon as you go to fix one thing, it leads to this cascading effect of like you take this part out and oh look this is cracked, and yeah. you take that out. And, oh crap, this is broken. And mm -hmm. you take that out and this seal is gone. And yeah. oh, these bushings need to be replaced. And the next thing you know, your entire car has been taken apart. Yeah, that's my whole life story with working on these things is that like a customer who normally buys a Defender and it's, um, you know, they buy a Defender that most likely came from England or from the European market. And they're like, yeah, just give it a once over to make it safe and legal. And then we'll give them like, <laughs> like a $15,000 list of things that need to be replaced. <laughs> Bushings, bearings, you know, everything, everything, everything. Yeah, because you take one thing apart, and then it, you know, the whatever seal that you took out just falls apart of your hand. So yeah, yeah. We uh, we ran into you several times on the course. There was one day I remember coming out of an enduro, and you were parked at a green checkpoint. Mm -hmm. And what was it that we that you needed power steering fluid? What happened that day? Oh, that's right. So a line <laughs> came loose on a brand new box um that i put in the car so i'm hoping that you know there wasn't any threat damage or something to the box um when i was hooking up the line but i mean i just tightened it right back up and then we had to refill the reservoir thank god you guys were there because i only brought like a little bit of power steering fluid to top off and we had a power steering leak prior to coming out here we shipped the vehicle up to reno and we get to reno and we go out driving we come back we start the car again and we are pouring power steering fluid mm -hmm. out mm -hmm. and it was coming out that bottom seal in the steering box. I've had that happen before. Yeah. And so we had gone out, this was the day we were leaving for incline village to start the whole thing. And we ended up going and getting some of the, um, stop leak, uh, power steering fluid and putting it in there. And so our leak luckily had kind of taken care of itself. We weren't mm -hmm. leaking anything anymore, but because we had this leak before we left, we stocked up on power steering yeah. fluid yeah. thinking we might have to be topping it off every day. And right. instead our leak took care of itself. So we had plenty to give you. Yeah. Yeah. It was kismet. And so I'm very yeah. thankful for that. Yeah. Cause <laughs> yeah, otherwise I would have done the whole thing without power steering. I would have had to cut the belt so I didn't burn up the pump. Yeah. Um, and then I heard that there was another day I wasn't witness to this, but we roll into another green checkpoint and you had just changed out a shock. Yeah. So a rear shock, it was at that really rocky trail that was on the edge of Death Valley. I think that was day three. Yes. Um, yes. And so I get to the first green checkpoint of the day or second green checkpoint. And I, as we were getting to it, I could just hear like the car just started kind of rocking back and, and clunking and clunking. And I was like, that's not right. And so we get to the green checkpoint and I look under and sure enough, my shock had sheared from where the the eyelet mounts to the frame. The pole itself sheared from that eyelet. Oh it God. was just a clean break. It was crazy. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that before. So thankfully a rear shock is easy to replace, a front shock not so much. And so I just unbolted the two bolts and thankfully I literally just pulled a spare shock that we had lying on the parts shelves downstairs in our shop 
And my coworker's like, you don't need that. You're not going to break a shock. And not so, only did you break a shock, you replaced it in the field yeah. without any mechanical support. We yeah. roll up to that green checkpoint. And mind you, we were late because mm-hmm. we got lost that day. Uh-huh. But we roll up to that green checkpoint and you're done. You fix the shock. You're ready to move on. Yeah. It was it was incredibly impressive. Oh, thank you. Yes, so much. <laughs> I was luck. I was I thought I was silly bringing like pretty much my whole tool arsenal along with me. But then it turns out I needed it. I wasn't originally going to bring battery tools. I really I was just going to bring hand tools. But I'm like, man, thank goodness I did bring battery tools because it made the job like so much so faster. much faster. But would have yeah. been like a 40 minute job using hand tools and. And whatever was a 20-minute job. We definitely, between our two teams, earned a reputation for, like, women that show up with parts and fluids and all the things and right. did our own maintenance every yeah. chance we got. Did you have to have the mechanics work on your vehicle at any point? Um, there was one day where it was that really high, that was that one Enduro that involved having to pretty much climb a mountainside. Oh, yeah. We stop as we're on a slight incline. And um, to let a car pass us on the opposite this side. This was a crazy enduro, just yes. for the sake of our listeners. Uh, enduros are where we follow road books, and sometimes they are timed. This mm-hmm. was a timed one. And it was the wildest thing. We literally got to drive up onto the aqueduct along the mountain. Mm-hmm. It was wild. That enduro was one of the craziest driving experiences I've ever had. That's what I heard from a lot of people. You missed out on I did. I did. So what happened was, so we stop on this trail as we're starting to incline on that mountain pass. Yeah. And then we stop and all of a sudden I go to put my foot down and the car just stalls. And I'm like, oh, that's really weird. And so then I started again, slowly giving it gas, put off the clutch and it stalls again. So I put it into low and the car like goes forward, but it really judders. And I'm like, oh, crap. I think I lost high range, like altogether. But um, and And this is not good when you're on day uh, four, three, four, three. I think it was the end of day three. Yeah. Like, you know, we still have a good twelve hundred kilometers of distance to travel throughout this event. Yes. Yeah. And so then I was able to put it in low range and take it off the trail and put it on a rollback. And then the mechanics and I are poking around at it to look at it and it turns out like linkage was just loose. Well and so better that than the alternative. Yeah, than the alternative, yeah. But it was just like I you know, and it that was something I checked before I even left and you know, making sure to use like nylock hardware and that kind of stuff. But that just goes to show you just like how rough and tumble a lot of these trails were that it, Oh, like, they really were. A lot of the linkage to loosen up and oh, that's yeah. like I had a bit of play in high range and it must have just like kicked itself out. Oh yeah. And so so, One of our yeah. listeners asked a question on Instagram this morning about, you know, what was the driving like? Was it really just orienteering? Were we just, you know, doing super easy trails to get from point A to point B? Or was there technical driving? And, you know, for anybody who isn't familiar with the Rebel, I can answer honestly and say, if you choose to keep it pretty simple, it isn't maybe as technical, but there's definitely still challenge to it. Even the easy paths, even going from green to green has some technical driving and some challenge to it. Right. Um, And then if you choose the alternative routes, if you choose the X routes, I mean, Jenna and I certainly found ourselves on mountain passes that were super technical. Yeah. Um, And yeah, these cars got a workout. They did. They really did. 
Yeah, I remember that um, we had a hill climb on one of the X routes that I seriously thought I was going to bog out on um, because it was just so... It was incredibly steep and the trail was not stable. It would just move under you mm -hmm. as you tried to climb up. Mm -hmm. But thankfully I made it. Yeah, we did go for some of the easier routes for the sake of keeping the car in one piece. Yeah. Um, I think that's a big part of the event too, right? Uh, I mean, knowing your vehicle and knowing the limitations of your vehicle in this terrain. Right. Right. And you know, you have to preserve your vehicle if you want to make it all the way to day eight. Right. Um, and so I think you made some really good choices there. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I mean, this was I knew this was terrain I've never driven in before. or really had no experience with, even though it was like rocks, mountains, that kind of stuff that I'm certainly familiar with. It's still a whole different ball game of loose dirt sand yeah and so i certainly wasn't going to try and push myself and you know let my ego take over of oh well i'm a experienced driver right. i'm sure i can handle it okay so. so then on that note talk to me about glamis yesterday oh wow okay what to say we're about sitting glamis. here just yeah. for just to set the scene we're sitting in sarah's car in the parking lot because it's currently a bit of a rainstorm and they are moving the gala to the interior tent so they've kicked us all out and we're sitting in the parking lot and people are airing up around us and people are walking through the parking lot that's why you might hear background noise but we are sitting in a parking lot at base camp four in glamis having tackled some insane dune driving yesterday mm -hmm. so talk to me about glamis what did you think when you first got here I was incredibly intimidated. I've oh, never, we all were. Yes, yes. I I really did not. I wasn't able, unfortunately, to get out to any of the rebel schools because mm -hmm. of just time and distance and money. So I basically had to. So I went to my good friend, John Bradshaw, who runs Twin Mountain 4x4 Park mm -hmm. in West Virginia. And he made, like he moved earth for me to make a dune top. Are you serious? Yeah, for me to practice cresting and descending. Yeah. And I borrowed his classic to do it. And so whilst I had that under my belt and Max Tracks training and we even got a pool pal, we just <laughs> stuck to the sand highway because the car... I saw you out there getting some blue checkpoints. Yeah. I saw you I saw you with your, your little trio of vehicles yeah. out there hunting stuff in the yeah. afternoon. That was definitely the way to do it was to travel in a pack. Yeah. But man, even on the sand highway, some of the hills were so gnarly. That one at the end, trying to get over to CP18. Yes. That was insanity. Yes. And I don't remember that hill being so bad going down it everybody said that we said yeah. the same thing we didn't remember it being like that going down but coming back up later in the afternoon i don't know if it was that the heat and the light you know all the contours were gone. right you couldn't see depth at all right that hill was crazy to climb we yeah. saw so many people have to do multiple attempts to get uh, up yeah. there i had to i had to pull up max tracks at one point as Did i was you... backing down because i got into a little soft spot and so then I got myself out of that. And then, yeah, it took me three or four times to finally climb it. The car was so heavy and so underpowered <laughs> for what it was doing. Yeah. Yeah. So. If you were to do the Rebel again in any vehicle, what would it be? Oh, I actually wouldn't mind. Now, I can't 
say that this is going to be anytime soon. This is more so like a pipe dream, but yeah. I would love to do it in a series. And I know that you were pretty much we, saying the same thing. Jenna and I keep saying the same thing. How fun it would it be to yeah. do this in, in a series? I mean, it would be hard. It would Let's be. be really honest. Mm -hmm. A series car would be really hard to do this event. Yeah. We are sitting in a parking lot and I'm looking at, you know, Jeeps that are brand spanking new or within the last three years. We're looking at brand new Broncos. Mm -hmm. We're looking at, you know, all sorts of tons of Toyotas that are all really new and upgraded. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine you know, putting a Series 2A or something against one of these. Oh, I think it'd be great to kind of like, not to be a jerk about it, but to kind of put people in their place of it's technique over technology. Yeah. I mean, one of the three Land Rover driving pointers is technique over technology. Yeah. And so it's all about just knowing how to pick the right lines because that's all Series are is just point and go. Yeah. And as long as you pick the right line, those yeah. little mountain goats will climb over anything. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. For so, sure. Yeah, I think bringing a series out would be a riot in the media because we certainly raised hell bringing our defenders it was out. Fun. And so bringing a series, I feel like the internet would just catch fire <laughs> with how crazy that Definitely would be. the vintage Land Rover community that listens to this podcast yes. would go crazy. Absolutely. We have a lot of fans there. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, maybe someday. All right. Well, so now that it's all said and done, we're going to go to the gala here in a couple of hours and party it up. And then everybody's going to part ways and go the, back to their normal life. What are you going to miss the most about the Rebel? I'm probably going to miss all the people I've met, you and Jenna especially. Yeah. I mean, you guys have been such a huge help during all of this. And it's been great to be able to, like, talk to you, you know, be able to, like, geek out with you guys over Land Rovers. And, like, you get it. You get the experience. <laughs> you get the pains and the struggles that we've been going through. Yeah. And, you know, we get what you are going through. And so I'm going to definitely miss all the people I've met out here. I've met a lot of really awesome, awesome people that I hope I can somehow stay in touch with one way or another yeah. and not just see them once, you know, a year or once every few years kind yeah. of thing. So. And um, the Rebel is, I think I can say very safely, and you said it at the beginning, the hardest thing I've ever done. Mm -hmm. Do you want to do it again? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. want to put myself through... That was a quick answer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I want to put myself through law school first, but I think that's definitely something I could see myself doing again. Coming but... back and doing in a few years. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I so, love it. Absolutely. What would you do differently if you do it again? Um, Probably train myself more on the navigation side so I don't have to be just the driver. Mm -hmm. That was definitely hard being just driving and I felt terrible that Regina had to worry about plotting every single morning and I had my mornings were generally pretty easy besides mm -hmm. just checking a few things on the truck and packing things up mm -hmm. so I definitely think being more of a sympathetic teammate and understanding navigation better and being mm -hmm. able to perhaps switch off rather than just be sole roles of driver versus navigator would right. be fantastic yeah. yeah so yeah I love that and I love that you brought this truck I love Thank that you. we brought our trucks I together do too. absolutely that we got to be, you know, kind of allies and teammates out there. Yeah, it's been so great doing the Rebel with you. Yeah, and I can't well. wait for the next chapter. We'll definitely come visit when we're on the East Coast. That'd be fantastic. And ditto when we're on the West Coast. So Fantastic. Well, mm -hmm. thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to chat with you. I know we all have places to be tonight. I can't wait to enjoy maybe uh, some libations with you. Yes. 
Absolutely. Let our hair down a little yeah. bit. And mm-hmm. um, if people want to follow you, what? how can they follow you or, or get in touch with you or find out more about what you're working on? Yeah, absolutely. The main social that I'm pretty much on is Instagram. And my handle is scrabtreecrabintree76. scrabtree76. Yeah. And so that's the main way um, you can get a handle of me. I also help run the Rovers Club. Rovers is an acronym. And so you can go to rovers.org if you're interested in coming out to any of our events. We host several events a year that we would love for some East Coasters or West Coasters to come out to if they nice. feel. So you are welcome to also um, email me about information on Rovers Club at scrabtree304 at gmail.com. Sweet. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Well, you know, fantastic, right? I mean, what a what an incredible event. Uh, you know, like you said, life uh, it's a life-changing thing. You now not able to uh, stand upright anymore because of driving Sarah's car uh, and the girls obviously having gone through a pretty pretty amazing thing. So, what a neat what a neat thing. We got to we got to send Liza out to do more field reporting. We'll get to Maybe the next time there's a hurricane, we'll give her like a raincoat and uh, see if she can give us some real-time updates or something, yeah. you know? Hear, hear from inside the eye of the tornado. Exactly. It's our, our field correspondent, uh, Liza Paris. Speaking of a compromising and dangerous situation, I know last week we gave an update on the uh, official underpowered hour company car. Uh, of course, the king of all Land Rovers, the G4 Orange Freelander. It is, uh, in fact, uh, broken. Uh, the uh, transmission <laughs> died after a day. Oh, no. Yeah, one day. One day of oh, operation. No. and was that, uh, Did it return to you up. and then die, or did it, re- it die? Didn't, we didn't actually make it. Uh, uh, it didn't actually make it up here. Uh, so it, uh, it it didn't leave. It wasn't unable to leave the parking lot uh, of Ooh. Ed's shop. So it is. Uh, yeah, I hear it is the transmission is a very, uh, very time-consuming job to yeah. uh, fix on those cars. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to rebuild it uh, is, the, uh, is the plan. Um, do you do that in the car? Every. Every used transmission apparently is broken, and there are not really new transmissions. So uh, the rebuild is the plan. Uh, so are parts uh, available for that? Uh, I believe so. It is apparently a fairly generic transmission of the era. So uh, apparently, yes. Uh, <laughs> but we don't have hard current information on that. So it is yet to, to be confirmed by the transmission shop. So. Uh, for a little while, uh, for a day, it was on the running Freelander registry. Uh, we've had to remove it again from from the running. <laughs> there's there's Freelander no cars registry. on the. Uh... So currently, there is zero cars on the list. So the uh, North American. One of American, our listeners, uh, uh, yeah. uh, Lawrence. Lawrence, he uh, he just bought a Freelander. He uh, posted up on the Instagram. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. I did see that. I did see that. I am. Uh, I'm thrilled. Panda Valandi, I think, is on Instagram. I think we have uh, really started something here with ironic Freelander ownership. You know, I think it's, uh, we're starting a trend of terrible, you know, terrible you know, cars. Steven, you know, Stephen, at some point it just becomes sad. It's no longer. You know, we're going we're gonna to keep putting money into this project until uh, there's no more money, I think. That's, can that's I just tell you that I'm working on a Freelander for you <laughs> so you can send me a check <laughs> every month? Send some money, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it's broken again. I think it's like it's like <laughs> one of those, you know, it's like one of those telethons you know, over the week. You know, you don't, you're not, you're not sure. It's, it's more like, yeah. uh, you know, you're just. It's the idea of it that you yeah. like, you know, whether, you know, are you auditing really where that money? You don't know, but uh, you know, you feel better about yourself knowing that you're keeping a Freelander. Serious uh, kids, so, serious kids know. for, yeah. for adults. For yeah, you. exactly. I think for it's uh, I think someone it's with bad taste in vehicles. 
you know, anyways, it is, uh, you know, in uh, in my uh, endeavor to uh, to uh, keep the uh, the undisputed king of Land Rovers uh, running, you know, it's uh, it's a labor of love, Mike. It's not it's, if it made sense, uh, everybody would do it. It's, uh, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. So, <laughs> you know, I'm just saying I'm just it's saying. like so, it's like that person that adopts the 14 year old Great Danes from the <laughs> Humane Society. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's exactly the same. In fact, there's no difference. There's no difference. All the same things are happening that would happen. I just with... spent six grand at the vet and yeah. uh, still a 14-year-old Great Dane. Still a 14-year-old Great Dane. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. So, well, you know, it's one of those things. I think, you know, the uh, the community loves it. Uh, you know, everybody who has seen it parked uh, outside of a repair shop, uh, they love it. Uh, no one's actually seen it driving, but, uh, you know, it is. Uh, it does drive. It did drive. I will I will post pictures of it parked in the wild because it did actually Wait, drive. you post pictures of it parked to prove that it drives. The, well, I, I realize the irony of that, but it's not in a repair shop. It's not inside a repair shop. So it had to get there somehow. I mean, I suppose oh, we could. Yeah, we're going to hook up a uh, like a like a 20 mule team to it and just uh, ride it like a like a wagon, like a like a chuck wagon, I think, uh, like a back to the future uh, part three kind of a situation going on. We'll push it with the train. Full full yeah. restoration on the Freelander. I love it. It's going to be amazing. Uh, yeah. So uh, other than that, uh, I think, you know, uh, well, uh, everything's everything's just fine here. Uh, everything's fine. Nothing to see here. Uh, no problems at all. So uh, if you happen to be uh, in the mood to uh, contribute to the, uh, the Freelander Restoration Fund, the best way to do that is to head over to the underpowered uh, hour.com and uh, purchase yourself a tiny Ike sticker. Uh, you know, uh, three cents from every tiny Ike sticker goes towards a new transmission in the G4 Freelanders. Worth so it. Worth it's it. worth it. It's worth it. You're doing your part. You know, what would Sally Struthers do? Uh, you know, if, uh, you know, if for only the cu- uh, the price of a cup of coffee every day. Maybe, maybe we should start a GoFundMe. This poor man thinks that he can make a Freelander drive. <laughs> I am going to do it. Uh, this is, uh, it's only a matter of time. We will get this thing running. It is, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those, uh, it's one of those things, but you're, you're a very accomplished person, Steve, and very capable. And, uh, you have a lot of big projects under your yeah. belt in yeah. uh, a lot of different disciplines. Yeah. And, uh, I think this one might be, on, this might be beyond it. you. This might be it. This may be the one. This may be the one. I mean, uh, you know, well, you know, lesser, lesser people have tried and, uh, you know, I think this will be uh, this. This is my this is my white whale. This is my orange Freelander to, to die on. <laughs> well, I can't uh, wait. I for one can't wait for that. You know, the greatest thing about it is after all of this effort, uh, you know, we'll have a working Freelander. That's the that's the, the funny thing keep is the prize. You the prize at that. the end of this. The goal is simply to have a Freelander that runs. I mean, it's not even you know, it's not like this is some amazing uh amazing sort of thing but no we'll have to see well at that unfortunately because of all of the freelander restoration talk we have uh once again run out of time uh to have i give a review of the g4 freelander sponsor and nando's uh so uh we'll get to that uh, in an upcoming episode uh, i'm sure we'll definitely have the nando's people on to unveil the running uh, freelander so we'll make the sure peri peri freelander the peri peri it's in fact the problem may be that we were running peri-peri sauce in the transmission instead mm-hmm. of automatic transmission fluid. Uh, it has a high lubrosity, so uh, I thought it would be lubrosity. fine. You know, it, it's very, uh, it's not prone to fluid <laughs> shock, so I thought maybe it would be a good uh, analog for ATF, but apparently, no. apparently not. Yeah, apparently no. not. No, so... 
at any rate, it's been a slice and uh, we'll uh, talk to you uh, next week. All right. See you on the trail. Take care. The Underpowered Hour is produced by Liza Barris, Ike Goss, and me, Steve Barris. Pavel Svartov composed and performed our theme music. Consider supporting the show on Patreon, and if you already do, thank you. Your support makes the show possible. For even more, check out our Instagram or Facebook.